Hey everyone, on this week's episode of the Players Experience Podcast, we chat with former number one ranked tennis pro, Daniel Nestor. We talked with Daniel about his career, what some of his experiences were like playing in singles versus doubles, as well as playing in the Olympics. Daniel shares what it was like to win the pinnacle of tennis in Wimbledon and so much more uh, as well, including his involvement with Special Olympics and the Motion Ball crew uh, at the galas and what that whole experience is like giving back as well. Before we bring Daniel onto the show, we would just like to give a shout out to our video and imagery production team with Vic Mar Productions and Jay Salty Photography, as well as our production team with our merch, 19 Marketing. So if you guys want any merch for the show, hit us up on Instagram and let us know and make sure to check out the other two as well. On top of that, guys, we have uh, coupon codes for Hush Blankets, the Jaywalk, and the Great North Apparel. So make sure to use those on your checkout for some discounts. And if you haven't done it already, make sure to do it now before you miss out on any more content. Hit the subscribe button to be able to make sure that you check out new episodes each and every week as we bring you new content with new and exciting guests uh, that you may want to hear from and want to learn more about their experiences as well. Now, without further ado, let's bring Daniel onto the show and talk about how his career with Dennis got started and what his favorite experience has been. Hey Daniel, how's it going today? I'm good. Yourself? I'm great. Thank you for taking the time to be on the show. Uh, how are things going right now with you? Not bad. Uh, obviously bored like everyone, but uh, you know, hoping hoping that uh, summertime, you know, we'll get a little more uh, freedom back out there and can continue some uh, activities as normal. Yeah, exactly. Hey, the one good thing is the tennis courts are still open, so we can get some action in there. You know. Well, not officially. There, there's a couple places where uh, there's, they, they haven't taken the nets down, but uh, I told my daughters that uh, even if they take the nets down, we still have to go out there and hit uh, pretending there's a net. So <laughs> they're not getting a break. Oh, that's good. That's good. Keep them active. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, thanks for being so much on the show. I, I'm really excited to chat with you about your tennis career and some of your experiences. And I like to start off every episode with a segment called rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you yep. four questions and it's just the first thing that comes to the top of your mind to shoot them out. Um, okay. What is your favorite time of day? Uh, evening. All right. All right. Strangest thing in your fridge right now. Oh man, that's my wife's responsibility. Uh, <laughs> that's such a good question. Um, I don't know. I don't have anything exciting. Can, can we uh, pass on that one? Come back to it? Yeah, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll pass on that. That's all good. Uh, TV show that you're currently I watching. should say I'm, a, I'm a pretty straight when it comes to my diet. I, I'm not, uh, I don't uh, experiment too much, so I'm pretty boring. So nothing's going <laughs> to uh, be too interesting uh, regarding that. Hey, that's all. That's all right. It's it's good to maintain a, a strict diet, you know. It's, it's well, I know. No, it's not that it's strict. It's just I don't like a lot of things, so I, I stick uh, with uh, <laughs> some things that I like. So, which is basic stuff. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, TV show that you're currently watching. I've been, I've been watching The Crown. Actually, uh, I'm a little late to that. I think most people have already been uh, been through uh, through it. So it's a few years old, but uh, I like the historical aspect of it. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I haven't even started to watch that. So you're a step ahead okay. of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what would be another sport you would want to compete in? 
I have to be realistic and uh, knowing my body type. Uh, you know, I know you're good at baseball. I, I could see myself being decent at baseball, uh, something like that. Something hand-eye, probably. All right. All Not right. too much running. Well, well, there you go. When COVID ends, we'll get, we'll, we'll get together one day. You'll you yeah. now play on the baseball team. Uh, we'll hit the tennis court. We'll show each other a few things. You know, we'll make it a fun day. We'll go old school. We'll play wall ball. Remember wall ball? Oh, buddy, like, wall ball was amazing. <laughs> I know. Kids nowadays, they have, why is there a rectangle on the wall? They have no idea what's going on. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so that leads into my first question, asking, I want to find out, what made you want to play tennis as a profession? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, I kind of compare myself to the, the stars we have in the game now. I mean, we, you know, they've really taken tennis to a new level in Canada and, uh, you know, they're so mature and, you know, it seemed like they were motivated and, and uh, focused, determined from, from a young age. I wasn't necessarily like that. I played tennis because I was good at it and I like competing. You know, I wasn't uh, always huge on, uh, you know, spending the extra time on the court doing all the little things. So that kind of came with age and, uh, you know, it's basically an ultimatum that my mom gave me uh, going to school or, or uh, going pro. So I, I basically, uh, you know, thought that, uh, you know, probably knowing my personality uh, made more sense to commit to the sport uh, at age 16, 17. Uh, and that's what I did. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why I played so long is probably because, you know, I continually was improving. I, you know, I probably uh, should have done certain things when I was a little bit younger, been a little more professional. But uh, as I got on tour and, and matured, I, I became very professional. And, uh, you know, so I kind of perhaps made up for lost time a little bit by playing into my 40s. And talking about that lost time, you certainly did. We're going to get into some high achievements that you uh, made on the court. But you started off your career in 1994 where you won your first doubles title in Colombia where you and Mark Knowles defeated the French Open champs at the time, Luke and Murphy Jensen. What was it like for you to win your first championship? I mean, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was actually a funny story. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't planning on going to Bogota uh, necessarily. Uh, you know, I was still trying to play singles at a, at a high level. And my dad, uh, you know, I was I was making him do some of my entries in the tournaments, and uh, he answered me. You know, we probably discussed it a little bit, but never confirmed anything. But he answered me in that tournament, and without me knowing. So Knowles came up to me at, at the U.S. Open a couple of weeks before, and he's like, "Do you want to play in Bogota?" And I'm like, "I'm not going to Bogota." And he's like, "Well, you're on that. You're on the list." <laughs> so then I called home. I yelled at my dad, and uh, and but uh, you know I, I had a commitment, so I decided to play with Knowles, and uh, you know we ended up winning the title, and he was already an established player, and. And uh, so it was, uh, it was great for me to have an opportunity to play with him. And, uh, you know, because we did well in that tournament, he, he didn't really have a partner for the upcoming year. And I'd never really taken double seriously up until that point. So I thought, uh, why not? I mean, it's, a, it's an opportunity. And, uh, yeah, we, we had some pretty good success together. That's great. I could just imagine that phone. Dad, what did you do? Why did you sign up for this? And this, the funny thing was, uh, I, I'm always been a bad flyer, but I remember like right before I went to that tournament, there was a plane went down in the mountains there. And I think it was from Miami, like on the way to Bogota. And I was, I was also supposed to go on that airline. I was freaking out, but uh, I'm happy I went and <laughs> things worked out. Yeah, for, definitely for the better. Um, now yeah. during, uh, looking six years later during the 2000 Olympics in Australia, you and Sebastian Laurier won a gold medal, which was the first and only medal so far in tennis for Canada. 
What was the feeling like for you to add your name in the record book uh, by winning that gold medal? I mean, for me, from a personal standpoint, it was huge because I, up until that point, I, I thought I wasn't playing well enough in, in the biggest moment. So that was kind of a, a hurdle to get over. But, uh, you know, just from a, a nationalistic uh, point of view and, and just being, you know, proud Canadian and, and representing Canada, it was, it was just amazing, you know, first to be at the Olympics and then to be able to win. And then just, you know, it, it's, it's not just about tennis at the Olympics and, I thought it was it was just big for sport in Canada, and, and just to be part of that was was something obviously that was the biggest moment in my career. Now, what was the athletes' village like? And let's be honest, we know how big of a party it is. Uh, how much did you enjoy that athletes' village? I imagine the party is going to be better uh, back then than it is now and uh, upcoming in Tokyo. But uh, um, I mean, it was yeah, it was fun. We we went uh, we celebrated it. Uh, they had a designated bar in uh, in the Sydney Harbor. Uh, there was a you know a little uh, you know something that they turned into like a Canadian hangout, and so we went there and, and had a lot of fun. And and I kind of misplaced my medal at some point in the evening. I, I gave it to a coach to hold on to, and the next day we were doing an interview with CBC, and I showed up without my medals because we kind of were trying to figure out where it was. But good thing we we found it uh, shortly after. Now, talking about where you keep your medals and misplacing it, I, I, I'm going to ask you this question because I've asked every Canadian Olympic athlete that's been on the show, where do you keep your medals? Now, I've heard, like, I've had guests say, you know, Lululemon beside their dog toys. I've heard at their parents' house. I've heard uh, on a wall in their basement. Where do you keep yours? I keep mine because I'm a little bit careless in a, in a sock and a safety deposit box. Okay, okay. So, the sock is the popular choice. I guess yeah. the, the fluffs from the sock really protected it. I don't know. I, I used the sock when I was flying home uh, after Sydney, and uh, I, I guess it just stuck. That was, a, that was a safe place for it. That's awesome. Now, you've won eight Grand Slam doubles tournaments between the Australian Open, the French Open, Wimbledon, as well as the U.S. Open. Out of all those matches, which would you say has to be your most memorable one to have competed in? Um, I mean, probably Wimbledon, just because, like the Olympics, it's the pinnacle in our sports, and, and obviously the Olympics is the pinnacle in, in all sports. And so, just winning that one was huge, and and uh, you know, it's always a dream, like as a kid, to to play at Wimbledon, play on center court at Wimbledon. So it was. Uh, it was amazing to to be part of that, and it was also the the last. Uh, no, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the last Grand Slam of the four that I had won, and uh, so it was uh, kind of, you know, getting the monkey off the back and and winning there was uh, was amazing. That's incredible. Now, looking at your singles matches, you won nine single Grand Slams as well through those same Opens uh, in different years, obviously. What would you say would be the main difference um, when competing at a singles uh, competition versus doubles competition? Obviously, other than the fact that there's two players versus one on, on each side. Okay, I, I think uh, that's a little bit uh, – I, I love that you uh, gave me that honor, but I, I haven't won uh, those singles Grand Slams. I competed in many singles Grand Slams, but I, I didn't win. Uh, my best result was a fourth round at uh, at, uh, at Wimbledon. Uh, I lost a – best player at the time and, and you know it's different because obviously you have to cover the whole court so it's a more athletic game uh, the reason why I did better at uh, doubles was because 
you know, I, I have pretty good hands and I, you know, I was, I was really comfortable around the net and, and I'd like to play, even when I played singles, I was always looking to come to the net. And, and back then the game was more, more fast as far as the court surfaces and the ball. So, you know, the, the points ended up uh, even in singles, you know, where one, one guy was usually trying to get to the net or both guys were trying to get to the net. So the tra- the translation into doubles was, was a little bit easier back then. I think nowadays uh, you even see, you know, singles and doubles, you know, it's, it's vastly different, uh, although it's, you know, the, some of the skills are similar. You do see singles guys who are, who are much more used to serving and staying, you know, well behind the baseline, kind of transferring that to doubles where, you know, you have a lot more baseline rallies and doubles than you ever did. You know, when I was playing, guys were looking to get to the net as soon as possible. So for me, doubles, you know, it was, it was, I was better at it because of my skill set. Okay, cool. Yeah, it's always been interesting for me when I watch like the pros play, just seeing like the amount of running back and forth and the coverage that you have to do. And like at the speeds that like guys hit the ball, it's incredible to try and get back in time to hit it. So uh, kudos to you because I know I could never do that. I'm 6'6 and I have a pretty bit of a length on me, but I was like, yeah, I'd still not do that. Well, it's one of those sports where you know, it's you watch it on TV and you, you kind of don't see how fast the game is, and you're like, "Oh, this is boring." Or why? Where are they? Why are they missing? Why did he just miss that shot? You know, that's you know that's so easy. But then when you play it, you kind of understand that there's a lot of movement, a lot of uh, biomechanics involved, and it, it's one of the sports generally where you have to start at a young age, and and it, there's a lot of repetition involved, and and uh, so you uh, you definitely have an advantage if you start young, and so if you're uh, you know, if you're advising the youngsters uh, and they want to, you know, be good at tennis or, or sports, you know, with, with high repetition, it's important to get them out there young. So the question is then, did you put a tennis racket in your girls' hands as soon as they could start walking or what? I forced it in their hands, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, they're not really reciprocating the, the passion <laughs> that I'm trying to give them with the, with my experience, but you know, they're pretty good, but uh, you know, I think it's just more important to, to get out there and maybe learn how to compete and, and just, you know, be, uh, you know, get some good exercise and, and, you know, be outside and outdoors and, and, and just, I think it's just a healthy lifestyle and, and, you know, there are, I don't know how accurate they are, but uh, there are uh, scientific studies that say that, uh, you know, playing tennis for long periods of time adds, adds years on your life. So I think, uh, plus it's a sport that you can play your whole life. So it's uh, it's a nice skill to have. So something I'm able to share with them. That's incredible. And yeah, I just have that father daughter bonding time too is just something yeah. special as well. Now talking about the party that is the athletes village, let's talk about another party that both of us have been in attendance to, I believe uh, you've been, uh, to the motion ball galas in the past, correct? Yeah, they're amazing. For sure. Yeah. Um, so they're like the motion ball gala is easily the hands down best party I've ever been to. It happens at the start of every year, which is incredible because for the crew at motion ball, it's their like ending party for the year. For us, it's the start of a new year. Um, what has been your experience like being at the motion ball gala and being part of like the motion ball crew? Um, with such a great organization and kind of helping support uh, Special Olympics and its athletes. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate to be part of it. I think it's obviously such a great cause. And anytime that, uh, you know, you're able to give back in any way, uh, I think it's it's important, uh, something to definitely think about. And, and I've known Paul, obviously, for, for many years. And, uh, and he's a great guy. And he's, uh, you know, done so much for the community as well as, you know, for, 
for for this cause in Canada and around the world. And uh, you know, his he's got an unbelievable staff. I mean, his events are are always first class and, and something I always look forward to. Unfortunately, you know, I, I've only been to a few. I was able to go to the one uh, in February last year at Liberty Grand right before uh, you know COVID came around, and you know that was amazing as always. But uh, so many times I was away when. <laughs> these events were going on. So it was always uh, sad that it couldn't be part of it. Well, hey, when the next uh, gala comes, we'll, we'll hit, meet up at the gala and I'll, I'll get yeah. a drink and we'll, we'll catch up, you know? Yeah, uh, I'm sure it'll be a, ra- a rager considering all the pent up uh, <laughs> frustration that's, that's gone on for the last little while. So. Well, that and they're also coming up. It's, it's really hard to believe, but they're coming up to their 20th year as motion ball too. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I remember uh, the the older days at uh, at the uh, what's the hotel downtown? Uh, oh, I I know the, the one that you're talking about. It was always in December at yeah. uh, the big hotel downtown. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on on Front Street. Uh, Close oh, to the uh, water. Oh, uh, Western Harbor Front. Western Harbor Castle. Yeah, at the at the convention center, there was always a a big event, uh, Special Olympics uh, festival and. And uh, yeah, I was happy to be part of that. That was during my off season, so I was able to go to that. And then Motion Ball, uh, you know, turned it turned into to Motion Ball shortly after, and uh, yeah, so it picked up ever since. No, it's great. Um, yeah, it's it's always a blast. And like, shout out to Paul and the Motion Ball team because like they do, like you said, fantastic work. And as a Special Olympics athlete like myself, like I am honored to be able to be part of that group and, and help raise the motion for motion ball and, and the message of the movement. And, and then it gives opportunities to me, for me to meet individuals like yourself and be able to have these chats, right. And, um, and talk about careers and experiences. So uh, yeah, shout out to motion ball. Yeah, for sure. Now out of your entire career, this might be probably your hands down hardest question I'm going to ask you today. Who would you say had to be your most difficult player that you had to go up against and compete up? or compete against well i mean i should probably answer that in doubles because uh you know that's where most of my success came so i'll just say uh you know the brian brothers are, are the best team of all time they uh american twins and uh they kind of dominated doubles from uh about 2000 to 2020 or you know basically right before COVID hit and and uh, yeah, so I, I was able to play against them uh, many times almost 60 times we played against each other and had many memorable battles and uh so you know they were uh they were you know tough team to play against and and you know the whole you know american thing and kind of in your face and <laughs> that was uh always something to deal with but uh they were they were great for the sport and uh and uh so just appreciate uh, all those moments on the court against them that's incredible and now talking about um those kind of ex- um, exciting moments and, and those experiences in 2002 you were ranked as the number one player how was the feeling for you to be ranked number one and see all your hard work and dedication pay off uh, in the sport that you love yeah it was, it was amazing uh, uh, definitely a lot of uh, a lot of time it, it was, it was uh, you know something that uh, you know definitely a lot of ups and downs for me uh, it was always one that uh, focused unfortunately on the the negative more than the positive I felt the losses much more than I enjoyed the win so uh, it was it was definitely amazing to to have that year and uh, and you know be on top for that uh, that time and 
and just a feeling of you know putting all the hard work and, and at the end of the year uh, finishing as number one is uh, is obviously something I'll never forget. That's incredible. And like uh, in Tal- get, Talladega Nights, like they say, yeah. it's your last. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a classic line. I like using that. Uh, I bring that up with my kids sometimes, but they're never listening. But uh, it's a, it definitely has a lot of, uh, a lot of meaning. For sure. Um, now, after an illustrious 20-year career, you decided to step away from the game. How was it for you to walk away from the court, but kind of like on your own terms, versus having to deal with a major like career ending injury and, and just knowing that your time was up. Yeah, it was, it was, it was definitely my time. And, you know, I probably extended my career for about a year longer than I should have, but uh, you know, the last year I was, I was on tour, I was able to play, you know, some of the best, the biggest events one more time and have my family with me. So that was, uh, that was really special. And, uh, but I, I, it's been easy, you know, I, I, never really enjoyed the, the travel aspect of it I, re- I enjoyed seeing the world and, and all those experiences once I was there but the actual you know leaving loved ones and and you know the the flying experience and not enjoying that part of it uh, and knowing that I wouldn't have to do that much that as much anymore was uh, was kind of relieving and and uh, so I, I I enjoy being in one place for long periods of time. I mean, this is a, this is a little exaggerated now in the last <laughs> 13 months, but uh, you know, it's uh, you know, having family time and, and all that uh, is, is definitely has its rewards. I know I can't wait myself to be able to travel again, like, and just even yeah. to be able to get away and uh, and experience a new place, right? And uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it'll be different. Now, a lot of uh, individuals throughout their careers have someone that motivates them or gives them uh, like their advice um, to help them succeed. Was there someone in your life that helped you further succeed in your career? It sounds like your father by telling you you're in that tournament, but was there someone that really stuck out for you? I wouldn't say it's one person. I mean, obviously parents are, are so important and, uh, you know, they always know best. You don't realize it at the time, but, uh, as you're growing up, uh, you know, the, all that advice and, you know, even against your own well, stuff that they do that you don't realize, you know, you look back on you're thankful. So definitely them. I mean, even though there was too much, uh, despite sometimes to, to try and do things my own way. And I definitely uh, learned the hard way sometimes, but, uh, you know, definitely, uh, they, you know, they were kind of that, uh, that motto. I don't know if you've seen it, uh, floating around the internet, but, uh, it's like, what's, what's, <laughs> what's the more successful generation, the ass beating generation or the timeout generation. So, it's <laughs> so I definitely went through the first, uh, the first episode of that and, uh, you know, not, not saying it was a physical thing, just saying they were, they were tough and, and strict and, uh, and disciplinary so i think that uh that's definitely uh that's definitely important and and then just some coaches along the way that uh that really helped out and and uh you know we're just at the right time you know just you know some, sometimes it was psychological sometimes it was a fitness coach sometimes it was a, a technical tennis coach and uh but just had some really good uh, advice along the way and uh and uh, had some good relationships there so you know it was a it was a good mix for, for many years, but I was I definitely, I was difficult. I mean, if, you know, the way I coach, uh, you know, my kids and, and maybe some other 
people or high performance whenever I'm involved. I'm, I'm, I don't know. I feel like I, I don't want to waste time. And I, I kind of like always get to the point. And if, if I had that as a kid, I would want to throw my racket at, uh, at myself. So <laughs> it's, it's a fine line uh, between, uh, you know, being patient and, uh, and saying the right things. Now, feeding off of that question, I like to end off every show with a segment called Words of Wisdom. What would your words of wisdom or advice be for the next generation of tennis players or individuals that want to get into a sport and want to kind of make a name for themselves and and want to get started? Yeah, it's it's difficult. I mean, the thing is, everyone's different, and and you know, people respond to to different coaching styles or, or you know, life experiences and all that. But I think for me and, and what I see, I mean, you definitely have to be patient because, you know, unless you're Federer or, or Michael Jordan or, you know, I, I imagine those people still have to go through ups and downs, but, uh, you know, those are extremely talented athletes that are, are one in uh, a billion probably. So, you know, unless you're them, you, you, you're generally dealing with a lot of peaks and valleys. So being patient for sure. And, and, and just enjoying the process, I think is important. I mean, you know, you don't have to always kill yourself every day. It's, you know, I think it's important to try and get better every day, but you know, sometimes, you know, that could mean playing half an hour or sometimes that could be playing four hours, but uh, know yourself, know, you know, how, how you're responding. And if you're, you know, mentally tired and, and, you know, and, and often in bad moods on, on the court or something, it's probably best to take a little break, but, you know, at the same time, it's, uh, it's something that, that should be a continuous effort of, of, you know, having fun, but also, you know, knowing the, the end goal and trying to get something out of yourself every day, I think is, is key. Just trying to con- continually improve. Great words of wisdom from Daniel Nestor. Daniel, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. And uh, yeah, like I said, when uh, when COVID ends or when we're a little bit past it, we'll get on the tennis court for sure. Yes, tennis slash baseball. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll challenge each other. Ball ball. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, pal. Talk to you soon. Okay. Talk soon.